Well, uh, tomorrow is uh, February 1st, which uh, for me is a little mentally, it's kind of hard to get my mind around that we are already like done with the first month of 2021. And I know it isn't logical, but uh, I think most of you, if you're anything like me, there's a part of you that kind of felt like January 1st should be like this giant reset like for our nation and for the globe where everything just kind of starts fresh. And uh, so not shockingly, it wasn't. So we are in part four of uh, Restart. And as we're wrapping up the last day of the first month of 2021 of this new year, we're learning how to restart at a personal level. And comparing life to uh, all the devices that are so integral to our lives, you know, computers and tablets and readers and smartphones and how sometimes they get slowing down, they're not working right, they get a little glitchy, uh, they're locking up, they're even crashing. And the number one fix uh, to, for a device like that is to restart the device because after it restarts and it reboots, it, the inter- internal clutter is basically cleared and you're starting with this fresh slate and you power back up and everything just runs smoother and it's snappier and things just launch quicker. And we're talking about how for most of us, we could use something like that for our lives, like our, our personal lives. And we need something like that, a restart. And we're talking about how to push pause and stop letting the whirlwind that is life cause us to be distracted from the most important thing that we should focus on this year. And the most important thing is different for each one of you. We're talking about how to make a break from repeating certain behaviors and patterns in our lives that are big and they're small, but they create regret. They cause us to hurt ourselves and other people in our lives. For many of us, they cause us to kind of self-sabotage relationships and and, and other things in our life. And we want to ensure that the next time won't be like the last time. And we've said that in the areas that matter most, we tend to repeat our mistakes. We tend to learn so so slowly. We repeat our mistakes financially, relationally, morally, whatever it might be. And one of the reasons why we talked about last week because we have a hard time changing patterns that hurt us and hurt others. And one of them is because of the experience myth. We talked about this, that, that we believe somehow experience makes me wiser. And we said, no, experience just makes you older. Experience just makes you more tired. It's only evaluated experience that makes you wiser. So we've been learning how to actually evaluate our experience. And we talked about the no better myth. That because since I know better, I'm automatically going to do better. But we all know that this isn't really true. We've all experienced just because I knew better, just because I know better, does not mean I'm necessarily going to have the self-control or the discipline or the strength to do better. Can anyone, did you already forget your New Year's resolution? And we've talked about the time myth, that time is my enemy. The time is my enemy. The time myth. The clock's ticking. Time's running out. I got to jump in. Everyone else is moving forward. I need to get something done and make something happen. But that's a myth. Time is actually our friend when it comes to moving forward to a better future. And then we identified three essential things that you've got to do to make for a better future. And last week we said the first step is that you've got to own it. That your first step is to own the part of your past, the slice of your past that it was yours, which means you can't blame your way into a better future. And this is just so important because blame allows you, as we talked about, blame allows you to smuggle your issues, to smuggle your wounds, your addictions, your insecurities, your dysfunction. It allows you to smuggle all that into your own 
future. And if you continue to blame, you're going to smuggle those things and sabotage uh, the things that sabotage previous relationships or previous work situations are going to sabotage you again in the future. Your past will undermine your uh, past will undermine your future. And owning it doesn't mean that we own the painful things and the decisions in our past that were out of our control. Meaning we don't own the own uh, our the wounds inflicted by our our imperfect parents, as all parents are. We don't uh, own those things that were extremely painful, like maybe the death of a parent at a young age, or maybe abandonment, or maybe neglect, or maybe even mental or physical abuse, sexual abuse, or sexual assault as a child or as an adult, or both, uh, being deeply wounded to the level of your soul. And, that, and, and, that, and by someone that you should have been able to trust and trust completely. We're not talking about owning experiences and decisions that, by others that were outside of our control. But as we said last week, we lie to ourselves. We lie to ourselves if we pretend that the past doesn't impact how we relate and how we respond and how we interact with others in small and big ways, in subtle and not so subtle ways. And the part we do have to own is as we grow up, once we get past a certain age and we get older, is the dysfunctional, deeply understandable patterns that we adopt and that we choose as a result of those painful experiences. So we said last week, when you look back on situations and relationships that broke down or fell apart once you got past a certain age, whether it was a personal relationship or a marriage or an education or your job, whatever it was, financial or moral failure, you've got to take full responsibility for whatever your part was. And this is difficult because we all like to tell our sad story, but the moment that we start to own part of it, we suddenly lose our ability. We, get, we don't get any sympathy because now I have to own my part of it. But you cannot move forward to a better future if you don't own it. And today we're going to be moving to the second uh, second. Uh, required essential thing, and that is to rethink it. And here's what we mean by rethink it. When you think back on that, that thing or that relationship or that situation that fell apart or that failed at some point, at some point we ask ourselves, what was I thinking? Why didn't I see that coming? Why was I so blind? I mean, others saw it. Everybody else saw it. Others warned me. Others told me this probably isn't a good decision. Uh, everyone else told me he wasn't right for me. What was I thinking? My mom said she's not the one, gave me a list of 12 reasons. And I'm like, but I love her. What? Now it's, what was I thinking? Zero percent down. I don't have to make a payment for eight years. It's like, I, I should have seen it coming. What was I thinking? Forty percent return, guaranteed. It's too good to be true. My dad always told me that if it sounds too good to be true, it's too good to be true. But what was I thinking? Why in the world did I lease? Why in the world did I buy? Why, what, I didn't even need a new one. Why did I end up with so much credit card debt? You know, everybody warned me. Dave Ramsey, Dave Ramsey warned me. What was I thinking? And the amazing thing is we look back on our own decisions. And there's a lot of time we look, times we look back and they don't even make sense to us, the decisions that we made. And I think all of us intuitively ask the question, what was I thinking? But unfortunately, very few of us camp out on that question long enough to come up with an answer. We go, what was I thinking? But then we just jump right back in. It's like, what was I thinking about dating? Hey, he's really cute. Or what was I thinking? Like, hey, she's really beautiful. Or what was I thinking? Like, yeah, I'll just take that kind of job again. What was I thinking? I don't know, but I think I'll lease another one. Let's go shopping. 
And I just can't overemphasize how important it is, how crucial it is to take long enough, stop long enough to get some help and come up with a real answer. Because if you continue to think the way you used to think, you're going to continue to do the things that you used to do. It's just that simple. History is going to repeat itself, even in the areas where you don't have that much to blame. Now, the amazing thing is the principle that we're going to talk about today was written down 2,000 years ago for us. It's in the New Testament, and if you and I had taken this seriously our whole life, for most of us, our life would be in a better place than today than it is uh, for most of us. But it's never too late to, to restart. So Paul, he's writing a group of Christians that are living under the shadow of the Roman Empire in Rome. And as we've talked about, the Apostle Paul is someone that understood the magnitude of a restart. Paul's writing to Christians, and Paul had lived, he just lived with the incredible shame and guilt for the life that he had lived before he became a Jesus follower, because he had been responsible for putting people in prison that were innocent. He was responsible for the deaths of Christians that had done nothing but put their faith in Jesus, like he eventually did. So he understood this tension. So what he has to say is so incredibly important. And in Romans chapter 12, he writes, therefore, I urge you, I urge you, brothers and sisters. So this means if you're not a Christian, this isn't written to you. But if you're a Christian, this is written to us. I urge you to offer your entire bodies, not just your mind, not just your intentions, not just an hour on Sunday, to offer your entire bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, when we hear the term sacrifice, we think of it metaphorically. But Paul, his readers actually saw physical, bloody, gory sacrifices. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In other words, killing animals isn't going to make it okay between you and God. It's about offering yourself and living this daily, moment by moment, for God, for God's glory, for God's honor, before my will, your will kind of sacrifice. Which means at some point, following Jesus is going to cost you something. Grace is free. But following Jesus will cost you something. And then he dives into the details of what it looks like. And he gives us amazing insight of us to us. Do not conform to the pattern of. Conform to the pattern of. It's actually a single Greek word, uh, syskematio, which is where we get the word schematic. Do not conform or allow yourself to be conformed to the pattern of this world. Syskematio. Because if you conform to the pattern of this world, then your life is just going to look like everybody else's life. Uh, And I don't mean the highlight reels that we see on social media of people's lives. You'll live just as stressed out and as anxious as everyone else. You'll have fragile relationships like everyone else. You'll have debt like everyone else. You're going to be unhappy like so many people are unhappy. And you don't need a Bible to know this is true. So he says to Christians, like, look, don't allow yourself, don't allow yourself to be conformed. You want better. God wants better. I want you to be transformed. To be conformed, basically, it takes no thought. It takes no effort. You just, to be conformed, you just go with the flow. There's no discipline. There's no intentionality. There's no self-control to be conformed to the pattern of this world. He says, I want better for you. You need to be different. I want you to decide to do your part to be transformed. In other words, don't be this guy. Be this guy. 
Don't be, don't be just like cut out just like everybody else. And yeah, you can change the colors and change little dots on the eyes or whatever. But it's basically all the same. Just cut out, conformed, every single one. No, 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 no. I mean, don't you, wouldn't you rather want to be like, like be this woman, be this man. Don't be, you don't want to be this young woman, this young man. You want to be this. You want to be trans. Formed. And you go, yeah, of course. Like, I don't want to be like, I don't want to be just like everybody else. I don't want to be conformed like everybody else. I don't want to just live like everybody else and have a marriage or a relationship like everybody else. I don't want to be in debt just like everybody else. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to just load up, get old and have a lot of debt. wonder my, why my kids won't come see me. I really want to be transformed. And so Paul says, that's awesome. Let me tell you how to do that. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yes, you need to present your bodies as living sacrifices, but in order for your bodies to actually do what a living sacrifice needs to do, you've got to make some changes right here to your mind. By the renewing of your mind, you've got to pay attention when you look back and you go, what was I thinking? Why did I do that? Why did I not see that coming? You need to look back and you need to pause long enough that you can actually answer that question so that you can begin to renew your mind. And renew means to restore. I'm curious, how many of you have ever restored either like a piece of furniture or paint, like repainted a car or something like that? Okay, y'all need to get some hobbies. So uh, I've actually done both of these. And uh, do you know what is involved? Both of these things require if you're going to refinish furniture or refinish a paint on a car. You have to strip off the old before you put, off, put on the new. You have to strip off the old before you put on the new. You have to take off all of the old before you put any of the new on. And the process is not fun. It's tedious. It requires time and focus and patience and hard work and usually some sweat. And when you're taking it off, nobody walks up in the middle of it and goes, man, that looks so much better. It's like, no, that looks horrible. Like this, this it look, looks worse than it did before. Why would you spend so much time and energy in taking something off? Why don't you just go ahead and just put on the new? I'll ask it this way. If, even if you've never restored a piece of furniture or a car, I bet you know the answer to this question. What happens if you put on the new before you take off the old? The new's just going to peel off. Sometimes quickly, sometimes just over time. This is why at some point you've made a commitment to do something differently in your life. Or maybe you even made a promise to God, a commitment to God about something. Like, I promise, you know, God that I'm going to do this differently, or I made this promise to myself, or I promise God well, on my next date, you know, or in my next relationship, or in my next job, or in my next semester in school, the next time I've got some money, or an opportunity to spend some money, or an opportunity to charge it, or take on some debt, I'm going to do better. I'm going to study better, whatever it is. But then the new just peels right off. Why? Well, because you moved on and you pressed forward into the future without doing the necessary work to understand, to, to, to work through and even remove the layers of the old, or at least to understand the old, and to, to respond to that before you try to put on something new. And you know the biggest reason that we don't do this? is because renewal takes time. And we're speed junkies. We want everything faster, right? That's why we keep upgrading our devices and our computers like every couple of years. I want faster. I want, you know, to, everything to just move. I want it to go so fast and to be fun. And we just try to slap on the new. 
We try to slap on a new commitment or slap on a new dedication or a new, a new schedule or a new resolution. You know, a new this or a new that. I mean, how many diet plans have you abandoned after about three or four weeks? How many exercise plans have you abandoned after three or four weeks? How many bad behaviors or bad habits did you decide that you were going to break? And then two, three weeks later, this last week of January 2021, you're, you're just, honestly, you're kind of right back doing the very same thing you did before. The Apostle Paul says, look, like will and discipline, they're, they're important. They're part of the process. But you have to renew your mind. And renewing your mind, it takes time. And it takes work. And for many of us, it requires professional counseling. And we have 20 reasons that we don't want to go see a professional counselor. And for all of us, it requires support from others, which means that we have to stop hiding. We have to stop hiding who we really are and what we really struggle with and open ourselves up to scary, desperately needed, authentic community with others in our life. And oftentimes it's going to feel slow going and hard and tedious. And this is why anytime somebody goes through a really big life change, especially if it's painful and there's a big shift, my advice is, hey, man, don't, don't make any big decisions right now. Like, like, like you need to take some time to kind of get your feet back under you, get a grip, take a moment to gain some clarity. Like don't buy a new car, don't move, don't just jump right into a new job, don't make any investments, don't date, hit the pause button. Like you've been in the emergency room emotionally in terms of what you've just experienced in your life and what you just went through. Uh, like we exp I experienced this almost five years ago where I went through a very difficult, painful transition and found myself in a position where then I was offered another opportunity. And uh, immediate, at, fir at first I'm like, yes, I want to do this. I want to do something fresh. But after about a week or a week and a half of just really dwelling on it, I had to go to the individuals and in the group that approached me and said, you know what, I need to step back from this because honestly, I'm just, I'm just mad. Like, I'm just mad. I'm just angry. And right now, I'm like, I'm wounded. I, I got a lot of junk in me. Like, I, before I can do anything like that, I got to deal with this. So I get it. And it's just in us. I mean, you've got to peel off some of the old before you can put on the new in a way that will last. But again, here's our problem. You know this is true for the person sitting next to you. But when you look in the mirror, you go, my situation is different. You know, my situation is different when, it, when it's me. This is, this is, see, this is why we wouldn't put a new Christian here into leadership into this community. Uh, if somebody becomes a new Christian, I mean, they're passionate and they're excited and they're just like driven. It's like, just put me in coach. And I know they're committed and they're deeply sincere, but it goes beyond being committed and deeply sincere because they need time to renew their mind. I mean, haven't we all experienced enough in our lives to know that commitment and sincerity is not enough? I mean, you know, as another example, if I or someone has to undergo surgery, I want the surgeon to be committed and sincere, okay? But I also want his mind to be prepared and equipped for the task at hand. For those of you with children or you that are growing up or you've got adult children, someday they're likely going to marry. I mean, do you want the potential husband or wife to, to just be committed and sincere? Or do you also want them to have the maturity and the skill set and the mindset to know how to love your son or love your daughter in a way that will be life-giving for a lifetime? And the Apostle Paul, 
He nailed it. He said, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind because then, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is and other, to make good decisions, His good and His pleasing and perfect will. Because if it's good and pleasing and perfect to God, it is in your best interest. So here's the question for those of you who are Christians, who are Jesus followers. Do you want to know God's will for your life? And most of you go, well, yeah. I mean, most of you go like, I even, I pray that at least once a week, maybe three times every day. Like, I want to know God's will. In fact, uh, I've been praying. Paul says, well, good. Then you need to take some time. You got to take some time and renew your mind. And we go, well, I thought if I just prayed long enough, like I would hear a voice. Just so you know, if you heard a voice, it would freak you out especially in the dark of night. Okay, you don't want that. In fact, every time in the Bible, nearly every time when God spoke out loud, people got freaked out and generally bad things happened. So you don't want God to speak out loud. He's saying if you want to know what God's will is, which means to be able to test and approve, which means to discern, to sort through the options and arrive, arrive at the right conclusion, you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's why you need to be in church, at least here or online, every week. Every week uh, in, where the Scripture is taught in just a practical and applicable way. And you don't have to go to this church. You don't have to watch this church. Uh, maybe for some of you, you want a longer service. Maybe some of you, you want shorter. You want shorter sermons. You want longer. Maybe you need people that are a little less shy about getting down and getting their groove on during the music. I mean, I'll admit, for most folks at New Life, especially since mask and COVID, it's kind of like that scene from that old movie Hitch where Will Smith's character is like, he's the matchmaker. He's trying to help Albert because he's going to be going out dancing with a potential match. And Hitch is just, he's just like, okay, right here. This is your zone. That's it. None of this. Okay, you know, but some of you, you need some of this. I don't know, whatever it is. Uh, you know, just, this is why you should uh, read your Bible consistently. This is what you read, and you go, I, I don't understand it. That's okay. Read it anyway. There's a lot of things that you read that you don't understand initially. Well, I'm not sure if I believe all of it. That's okay. You read a lot of stuff that you don't believe. This is about changing some of the way you think. This is about renewing your mind. You should read especially the New Testament to renew your mind. This is why we want you in groups. This is why we would have all of you be connected to at least 2 to 12 people in authentic community weekly in your life. That on a weekly basis you're in some sort of circle. Now this is why we did all the work to move everything that we could online, especially when things were really shut down with COVID, and also offer as much as in-person connecting opportunities as we could. Because no matter what we're facing nationally or globally, I don't want you to ever get disconnected from the body of Christ because it's in listening and applying and it's in listening to other people's stories and getting into their lives and experiencing life with other people that you begin to and you continue to renew your mind. You begin to think differently. But we just got to know that regret and resolve are not enough. So because I love you, I'm not going to let you easily off the hook like, oh God, show me the will. Instead, I'm, gonna give you, I'm just going to give you seven really quick. Seven lethal assumptions so that you know uh, and, and just so that you know, for many of you, only one of these will be a lethal assumption that exists in your life that you need to deal with. For some of you, it's going to be like three or four. For some of you, you, you may go, well, these are none of my assumptions, but we all have assumptions that we need to identify 
and deal with because we see something in our lives where we keep repeating these things that create breakdown in relationships in our lives and sabotaging us. So I just want to surface for some of us the operating system that, uh, that kind of kicks out behaviors in our lives that we want to quit seeing. Like, what was I thinking? Well, it's time for you to discover what you're thinking. So I'll hit these real quick. The first one is, if I find the right person, everything will be all right. And, and most singles, they think it's all about finding the right person, that the last relationship didn't work out because he was an idiot. Or the last relationship didn't work out because she was crazy. So I'm going to go find one that isn't an idiot. I'm going to find one that isn't crazy. Well, why did you date an idiot? Why did you date someone that was crazy? Well, what were you thinking? Well, I don't know. Well, you need to know. Like what? Because like, otherwise you're going to end up dating another idiot. Okay, experience is not enough. It's not about finding the right person. It's about becoming the right person. So what were you thinking? What was it in him or in her that you found so appealing that you found yourself in a relationship, but now you look back and you go, what was I thinking? Becoming the right person is the goal. And as we've said around here, becoming the person you're looking for is looking for uh, is, is the goal. Because if you do, then chances are you'll find them. You'll recognize them. But not until you become the right person. Until you've done the work to renew your mind, you're not ready. So spend some time becoming the person you're looking for is looking for. And if you're already married, you think you're off the hook. You're not. Okay, because you projected and portrayed a version of you that was so attractive, at least attractive enough, that you got them to say yes, okay, but over time you couldn't keep up the fake. You put on the new over old, but eventually it peeled off. And the person you're married to deserves better, whether you think they deserve better or not. It's time to do the work to become the right person. The second one is my situation's unique. Not to hurt your feelings, but no, it's not. Okay, this is why when you go to the doctor, the doctor's able to diagnose your problems because our bodies are all pretty much the same, okay? He doesn't grab the stethoscope and go, all right, let me try and find your heart. No, he knows where the heart is because we're all pretty much the same. This is why doctors are able to make prescriptions because they make a very educated guess because our bodies are all pretty much the same. And I know you're not going to like this, but... Your situation is not that unique. Okay? You're unique. But your situation is not. But, but we think it is. In fact, deep down, most of us, if we're honest, we think nobody else could really understand what I'm experiencing or what I'm feeling. They couldn't truly understand my situation. You need to understand that this assumption will hijack your life. Because this assumption is how you dodge and avoid Scripture and wise counsel. Somebody gives you wise counsel and you kind of go, yeah, that, thank you, but my situation is unique. No, it's not. That's why in about five minutes and telling the counselor your story, they've already diagnosed the problem, but they let you keep talking. But I'm just telling you, because how do they do that? Because your situation has been lived out thousands and thousands of times in the lives of other people. And if you try to dodge good advice and dodge wisdom and dodge the scriptures based on my situation's unique, you, you just need to know you're lying to yourself. So number three, it's not right, but it makes me happy. And God wants me to be happy. Well, here's a hard truth. I don't know if God wants you to be happy or not. And neither do you. 
I mean, if you think God wants you to be happy, you, you just need to understand that you either made that up or somebody said that to you and you just believe them. But beyond that, what do you base it on? It's like, well, I, I want me to be happy, right? And I mean, there's this Bible verse about Jesus wanting me to have life that is truly life. So obviously that means he wants me to be happy. Okay, let's assume God wants you to be happy. If we go, well, it's not exactly legal or ethical or moral, but my situation's unique. I think it'll make me happy, and God wants me to be happy. So God's will is that I do the not right thing, uh, things that are, so that way I'll be happy. I'm just telling you right now, things are not going to go well for you. I've discovered that in my own life. They just never do. And anytime you find yourself going, well, it's not exactly right, you just need to hit the pause button and go, well, I'm about to talk myself into doing the wrong thing based on something that is absolutely not true. Number four, if only I had fill in the blank, then I would be satisfied. Do you know anybody that has just one tattoo? You might go, well, well I do. Yeah, for now. Okay. But remember that time when you thought, if I could just get one tattoo, and now you want that second one. You know you do, all right? And obviously, I'm not get against tattoos, but my point is, you need to understand, if only I had fill-in-the-blank, I would be satisfied. That is connected to appetite. And appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. They just never are. The whole idea that if I had fill-in-the-blank, I'd be satisfied is a lie. Because no appetite is ever fully and finally satisfied. You know this. Because how many times, especially like within the last 60 days, how many times have you eaten to the point of physical discomfort? I'm never eating again. Only you're rummaging through the fridge like three hours later, right? Or something to eat. I mean, how many times have you acquired or purchased something thinking, once I have it, I'll be satisfied. But before long, you want another one. Or you want a newer one. You want to upgrade one. Or you've just moved on to whatever else is next. If, if I can obtain that, I'll be satisfied. And my point is just simply, don't, don't fool yourself thinking, once I have fill in the blank, I'm going to be satisfied. No, you're not. Because appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. Don't believe the lie that somehow owning it or driving it or buying it or wearing it or dating it or sleeping with him or sleeping with her is somehow going to fully and finally satisfy something. It doesn't work that way. Sim um, similar to that lethal assumption is I owe is better than I want. I owe is better than I want. So you've never thought this consciously, but it's in the background of your thinking when it comes to your finances. And you're going to live with tension and dissatisfaction one way or the other. So we convince ourselves, I owe is better than I want. In order to get it, I'm going to owe money on it. So rather than sit around and feel want, I'm going to go ahead and get it and feel owe. And I'm going to owe. Rather than want, it's better to drive it around and owe. Rather than want, it's better to wear it around and owe on it or have it in my closet. I'm going to, am I going to live wanting it or am I going to live owing on it? Am I going to want to live wanting to live in it or live in it and owe on it? What do I want more? I want or I owe. And many of you have experienced this. And many of you, like me, you've just learned the hard way. You get on the other side, like, what was I thinking? Well, what I was thinking was I owe is better than I want. But then the economy takes a downturn. 
and there's a job loss, or there's an unexpected bill, and now because there's absolutely no financial margin, now there's more trouble, there's more anxiety, there's more stress, there's more fear. Because I promise you, if you're going to live with dissatisfaction, either way, it is better to want than to owe. Number six, my secret will be safe with me. No, it won't be. First of all, secrets are bad and unhealthy. And if you're single and you've got a secret, uh, just hear what I'm about to say. If, if, when you take a secret into a relationship, it will not remain a secret. Eventually, you'll just break hearts. Your secret's not safe with you because secrets seep, including secrets about things, again, that were outside of your control that happened to you. Because, as I keep repeating, those inevitably cause in us certain behaviors and actions and reactions that sometimes can be so subtle, but it's all connected. And these behaviors end up sabotaging us and sabotaging relationships with people that have no context for why we act the way we do sometimes. So please, don't miss next week as we discover how to finally confront and overcome those kinds of things. But all secrets seep. A secret habit, a secret addiction, that secret from my past, the secret that I think that will never be discovered, even if it doesn't, it's going to seep like a poison into every relationship and work situation. That part of your sexual, your financial past that you're too embarrassed to, to share and you just drag it into drag that secret into a relationship, eventually it's going to sabotage you because you're keeping a secret. The seventh, just for fun, is sex will solve it. No, sex will complicate it. The minute you think it's just sex, I'll just sleep with him, if I could just get her to, if somehow you think sex is a problem solver, I mean, just imagine how much less pain and suffering and abuse and loneliness and regret there would be in our country just for six months. If just for six months we took seriously the teachings of the New Testament when it comes to sex, would we have less happiness or more? We would have more. Would we have less joy? No, we would have more. Would we have more complications? No, or less. We would have less complications. God's not some sexual killjoy. I mean, God invented it. It's amazing, but come on, sex isn't designed to solve anything. I mean, yeah, we joke about makeup sex. How many ever thought you'd hear that reference in church? We keep it real here. But in the order that matters, I mean, married couples, makeup, that's the part first, right? But the minute you begin to make sex some kind of, uh, make some sort of relational decision based on sex is going to solve this relationship problem, especially if you're not married, you're lying to yourself. I think the married couple version of this is when someone in the marriage, a marriage that's struggling, thinks, you know what, I know what would fix things. Let's have a baby. Like, yeah, that's a great idea. That is going to fix everything. I mean, lack of sleep and exhaustion is totally going to help. And, of course, the guy's like, well, that requires sex, so let's get to work. Uh, but in what has become a full-on hookup culture, we tell ourselves, we tell ourselves, if only I had sex with this person, then I would be satisfied. It's a lie. And it creates incredible pain and regret and deep, deep wounds. Most of you know I do a lot of weddings, which means that I have a lot of sex conversations with a lot of couples. And uh, when we get to the sex history part, I've never had anyone go. Like, I am just so glad. I'm so glad that I didn't wait. I'm so glad that I slept around with as many people as I could before I met this person that I'm about to marry now. Sleeping around fixed everything. No. They carry regret. They're, 
a lot of times they're embarrassed about having to share their sexual past with this person. For some, they carry a messed up, dysfunctional, broken view of themselves and sexual intimacy, and they drag this into a marriage. Some carry in their bodies the consequences through STDs, or they have a child or two that's out there. They carry deep pain with having the experience of an abortion. Sex will solve it is a lie. So, in all of these areas, and ones that I didn't list that were, that, that were your ways of thinking that you need to confront, don't be a conformer. Be a transformer. Don't get stamped out into the pattern of this world that's just trying to stamp you out. Be a transformer. How? By the renewing of your minds. Now, if, if any of you missed any of these series, please go back. You owe it to yourself to please go back and catch up on any that you miss because for some of you it's going to be a game changer and your heavenly father who loves you wants your next time to be better than the last time let me pray for you father i just thank you so much that we have these words from a guy like paul who screwed up so huge who from most of our perspectives really had no chance And yet, Father, you used him in incredible ways, so much so that he's probably the reason that we're here this morning besides Jesus. So, Father, I pray for all of us that you truly would begin to renew and transform our minds, that you would lead us into whatever relationships or readings we need to do to begin to change our patterns of thinking so that we really could experience what Jesus said as far as life that is truly life. Father, I I pray all these things. I pray for your help by your Spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen.